So uh, this guy, in 1984, he decided that he wanted to be on a game show. And so he was an ice cream truck driver, lived in Lebanon, Ohio, and he scraped together enough money. I think he even had to borrow some money, bought a plane ticket to Los Angeles, and went to audition for a game show. This game show is an old school game show. It's not anymore. It's called Pressure Luck. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, remember that show? I watched it when I was a kid. And in this game show, it's, it's all about risk. Like, you build up kind of your jackpot, and then you, you take a chance. And if you miss your chance, and if you've watched this show, if you hit a certain thing, you lose all your money. Does anybody remember what you hit if you lose everything? What's it called? If you hit a whammy, you're done. You lose everything. You go back to zero. So this guy auditioned for the show, and he made it. And he made history on this show. And we're going to watch a little bit of it, so... Here he is, Michael Larson on Pressure Luck. What a hunk of money riding on one spin. Oh, luck be a lady, $4,000 and a spin. So he started at zero, then he got up to 10000 And this kind of blew the audience's mind because if you get to 10000 that's in the upper like, levels of what people would win on the show. Then he got to 20000 then he got to 30000 Now keep in mind, one mistake, he loses everything. There's actually a cap. If you made $25,000 in cash and prizes, you couldn't come back. That was like their limit. But he, he got to that limit, and since it was on the same show, he just kept going. So if you notice, he was on $90,000. let us watch what happens next. Here we go. Ninety-four thousand. So now he's at ninety-four thousand. You see how excited he is? He's a good game show contestant. All right, let's keep going. Let's see what happens. Hey, Michael, can you handle him? Yeah. All right, here we go. Three of them. One hundred So he's at one hundred and six thousand. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before, and he continues to just go and go and risk everything. I think there's one more clip here. Here we go. Is it Michael going to hold on to that $110,000? That's CJ. Stop it. That's the proof. What's the difference? $110,237. That's a lot. And as this started happening, people, the producers of the show were like, something's going on. And they recognized what was happening here. And maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. Here's what Michael Larson did. Six months before this, he recorded Pressure Luck TV show for months. And he would notice something. He started seeing a pattern. You see all the things light up? And he noticed that there was a pattern to this show. And he figured out the pattern. He took months to memorize it. And he goes out and gets on this show... I love little details about stories. He didn't even have, like, you notice he's wearing, like, a shirt and tie. He went to a thrift store and paid 65 cents for that shirt, by the way. And he got on this show, and he walked away as the biggest winner of all time. Because he memorized. He figured out that the game was rigged, and he figured out the system. And my question for you is this. If you knew that life was rigged in your favor... 
how would that change your perspective, what you were willing to do and what you were willing to risk in your life? If you knew that you couldn't lose, because he walked into this situation knowing that as long as he kept in, in mind this formula, that he would win every time. What's funny about this is that later on, as people have talked about this, CBS, who produced this show, said he could have literally kept going and owned our whole network if he wanted to, but he just chose to quit. And what I want to share with you today, one of these parables, is, is something I, I don't know if I've ever said before when I've, when I've opened the Bible and talked about it, but it's this. I'm going to share with you a formula for God's favor. And I really shy away from saying things like that because I don't believe that, you know, we live in a relationship with God. And that's, that's our goal in this life is to walk with God in this life. But I want to share with you what Jesus says to us about a formula, a way that God can help us understand how he works and what he blesses and what he favors. So we're in week four. No, we're in week five. We got one more week to go in this series. And I want to just go back really quick and talk about these parables that, that we've been talking about each week. So if you remember the first week of the series, we spoke out of Luke 15, one of our readings in our growth guides, and it was how lost people matter to God. And God really changed people's hearts that week. You know, in this series, we've seen three separate weeks where multiple people have given their lives to Christ for the first time, last week included. Isn't that amazing? That lost people matter to God. I wish I could get you really excited and do more than a golf clap, but that, that's good enough for now, all right? And then the second week, you remember we looked at some other parables, and we talked about how we are meant to love our neighbors. We talked about the parable that's known as the Good Samaritan. The next week we talked about the parable, the story of the treasure in the field, and how we are meant to buy the field. It's, it was about the worth of the kingdom of God. And then last week we talked about the return of Jesus. That Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready for that. And that return comes in two forms. One form, it comes in a worldwide event that one day it will all be over and this world will transfer into the new heaven and the new earth. But it's also a personal return that when Jesus is coming back, he's also coming back for you. There will be a time and a place. I was reminded of that just yesterday as one of our dear friends, um, the chairman of the National Day of Prayer uh, National Day of Prayer Board, his name's Dave Butts. He passed into eternity yesterday. I was reminded of that, that there's a, there's a moment coming for all of us when our lives will be over. And in this series, we've, we've just seen God change so many things in so many lives. And I'm just encouraged, as we go into this last week, um, thinking about what God wants to continue to share with us in our readings, in the growth guides, and many of you, hundreds of us, are tracking with this as we're seeing God move. And as we go into the holidays, I meant to do this a few weeks ago and I've just been waiting, but, but you know, I have, I have kind of a separate life that many of you know about. And Daybreak has been a blessing to me and to the Eckerts by allowing a ministry that we built for 12 years with students all over the country, tens of thousands of kids. I want to just give you a quick update about what God is doing because when I share these updates with people, they just get encouraged about how God is moving across the country and young people. With all the bad news we have, there's some good news I want to share with you today. At NTS camp, over 
This last summer, 1,871 students made some kind of spiritual commitment. Many of those were first time. Oh, there we go. Hey, that's all right. I'm training you well, I see. Uh, Claim Your Campus. We have prayer groups led by students on their schools active in 48 states around the country. And this is a movement that's growing as God is changing schools as students are praying. We have another thing called soul exercises. And that's part of what we're doing here. And this this isn't connected to this, but 4,500 students around the country are reading the Bible every day because of what we're doing in this ministry. And then enlightened students is something that is equipping students to do student-led worship and prayer events. We had over 1,500 students attend events this year so far by students, not by adults coming in, but students leading these events. So just to give you a little bit of good news today that God is moving and there's something that he's doing during this time. I heard someone say this week that these might be considered biblical times. In terms of all that God is doing. And I really believe that. That there is, some, there is a way that God is moving right now. So Matthew 25 was one of our readings this week. We're going to look at this story. And it's interesting because this falls into just a little bit after what we talked about last week in Jesus' return. And this is another parable that Jesus tells. So it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, and give it to the other who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Again, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. We can easily think about Jesus. And I saw this survey years ago where they asked students all over the country, describe Jesus. And their number one answer was nice. 
And now that is a way to describe, but if you notice last week's parable and this week's parable in the same way, very intensely talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth in the darkness, okay? So Jesus here is now holding back. He's saying, this is an example of what the kingdom of God is like and how God looks at us as his servants. Now you may look at that and go, well, that sounds really harsh, but let me remind you what I talked about last week and The fact that every page of the Bible, every story, every part of it reveals something about God's love. And it's in here, and we'll find it today. Because it's in here. So you'll notice that they were entrusted with the resources of the master. They were given these resources to take. And it was put in monetary terms. Remember, one servant gets how many bags? Five bags, and then what's the second one get? Two bags, and what's the third one get? One bag. So they're given these resources. Now, you'll notice right away, if you just read this from the very surface of this story and don't really take much time to think about it, reflect, or ask God to reveal some things in here, you'll see that it's not all the same, right? And some people think, well, we got to be fair, and God judges all that stuff. But if you notice, it says they were given... The amount of resources, I don't know if you caught this, each according to their ability. So in this story, the owner knows that different people working for him have different levels of ability. And so they were each given resources to work with. And it's the same is true for us today. You are given resources. God has entrusted you with something. There's something in your life That he's given you. And you know what's easy for us is to say, well, I don't have what they have. We live in a world where there's a lot of envy and jealousy. And we we often tend to look at other people and go, well, I don't have what they have. Do you know how many people in the world look at us living in the United States and think they wish that they were us? They're envious because we live here. And you may say, well, they don't know my situation, but... Subjectively, in comparison to the rest of the world, we're all doing pretty good for the most part. When you look at the level of income and standard of living around the world, we're right at the top. And so here, it's not about what other people get. It's about what you get. Stop looking at what other people have and stop dreaming about what other people have because that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is we're always looking at what everyone else has instead of what we've been given. Now, much, much earlier in the story of the Bible, there's a man named Moses. And Moses is having this conversation with God. And Moses is saying, look, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. Moses was a shepherd. It says to us that Moses was standing there with a staff in his hand. This staff was a shepherd's staff that was used to protect his flock of sheep. It was used for a lot of really practical, normal, everyday things. And God is saying, I want you to do this for me, Moses. I want you to lead my people. They're in slavery to the Egyptians, and I want you to take them. And you're the person I'm calling to lead them out. And Moses says, I can't do it. I'm a shepherd. I can't speak. He comes up with this list of excuses. I don't really have what it takes, God. And then God asks him a question. Moses, what is in your hand right now? And in this conversation, I'm just trying to imagine in my mind where 
where God's like, all right, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses is like, well, I have a stick. That's what I have. That's all I have. And God says, all right, we're going to use this. We're going to use what you have. I'm not going to ask you for what you don't have. I'm going to talk to you about what you do have. And a simple thing like a staff, a stick, a piece of wood, God used miraculously. If you know the story, you know the miracles that happened with this staff that Moses had in his hand. And God's simple question is, what do you have right now? And that's a good question for you to think about. The question is, what do you have right now? Not tomorrow, not what you want to have, not what you think if you had, then you could do something. What do you have right now in your life? What, what finances do you have? What physical abilities or skills or gifts or relationships and networks? What kind of job do you have? What kind of career path are you on? What is it in your life right now that's simple? It doesn't have to be this great platform where I'm known and I'm famous somewhere and people know me and listen to me. We often think, well, if I just had that, if I just had what that person had, then I could be able to make a difference. And God is saying, what is it right now, as simple as you might think it is, you might be overlooking something right now that's so simple. Because when God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? I imagine Moses, just my interpretation, may have been kind of sarcastic. He's like, well, I got a staff. What are you going to do with that? And God says, let me show you. You may think you don't have much, but you've got something. And if you're not using it, you saw in the story what happens to the people that just sit on the resources that they've been given. God has patience, but that patience sometimes can, can end if we don't be careful. So... <clears throat> In this story, I want you to think about how you would describe the owner in this story. And when you think about the end of the story, you think, boy, he's shrewd. I mean, the one, the one servant's like, I knew you were a hard man. Now, the Bible wasn't written in English originally. You may or may not know that, but that there, it was written in Greek. And I looked up the meaning of that word, hard man, and it means hard. <laughs> How's that for some depth? It, meant, it means something strong. It means something that's forceful. It means he was a person that had expectations. And there's a word in this story that can change your whole perspective on the owner in this story. Because if I were to ask you, well, how would you describe the owner? You might say, well, he's shrewd. He's, he has high expectations. And you may have a list but let me show you one word in here that can change your entire perspective on this story. I was reading this story a couple years ago, and this jumped out to me. I'd never noticed this, and I've been familiar with this story most of my life. But in verse 19, it says, after a long time. So we see that the servants were given time to multiply their resources. The master here, the owner, is giving them time to work this out. That word long 
as a description of how much time had passed, tells us so much about not just the owner in this story, but about God. See, the owner didn't say, all right, here's your money. I'm coming back next weekend. I hope you bat a thousand with that money because I'm coming back. I'm expecting more. Do you see what happens here? What happens is he says, here's something I'm entrusting you with. You know who I am. You know my character. You know what I expect. And those of us here, you might be a business owner. I mean, you wouldn't say, hey, I hope, I hope you at least don't lose money this weekend on Black Friday, right? If you're an owner of a business, you know how important it is that if you're entrusting people with your hard-earned money, you want to get something in return. That's not an unfair expectation. And the servants knew this. And yet the master gives them a long time to work this out. And I've thought about this. Like, as an investor, if you're investing money, no one bats a thousand. Not everything you do works out. And the master surely understood and knew this from his position and being a person of wealth. And so he said to them, listen, I'm going to give you a while to work this out. And let me tell you, that's where we see the love of God in this passage is that God is not unrealistic in his expectations of you or me. God doesn't say, well, all right, you got to produce. Come on. What have you done for me lately? It's not like the NFL where it's like bad one week, good one week, and everybody gets really impatient. Lions. Um, By the way, dare I say go blue? Not bad yesterday. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. A little diversion that came into my mind. I had to mention it. Um, The master's giving them a long time to work this out. And there's some principle. There's kingdom principles happening here in this story. One of the principles is the fact that we are not owners. We're managers. Now, when you're an owner of something... A lot of times you could treat that thing a lot differently than if you're a manager. And I've found that when it comes to not being an owner of something, there's kind of two extremes. One extreme is what I would call the car rental example, where you go, I'm going to drive that car however I want. I've always wanted to put it in reverse going 40. I'm going to try it in this rental. You know what I mean? It's not mine. Who cares, right? And so if you don't own something, you either tend to kind of mistreat it because it's not yours, or you treat it with extra special care. It seems to be kind of two extremes in how we do that. But here, we understand through this story that you are not an owner of your stuff. You're a manager. There's a big difference. And you want to be the kind of manager that takes care of what you've been given. Because you can see what God does to the people that do take care of the resources that they've been entrusted with. Another kingdom principle that we find throughout scripture is the, the generosity of God. How God is a giving God. How God loves to give. And you know what he also loves? He loves it when we get that part of his heart and we love to give. Because when we start giving, we find that we can't outgive God. You cannot outgive what God would ever give to you. So there's this guy on YouTube. And he's got a ton of followers. And if you're younger here in the crowd, you might know I'm talking about. His name is Mr. Beast. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? This guy is huge. He, every video is like has millions and millions of views. And he does these little experiments where he just, he, and a lot of it has to do with money. So he approaches people in a grocery store one day and he says, okay, you got a choice. You can either, I'm going to give you $1,000 right now, or you can choose to not take that 1000 and give 10000 away to somebody else.